are continuing in this Advent season to uh, walk through most of or a good part of the first chapter of Luke. Um, We were in Luke chapter 1 last week up through verse 17. We're going to pick up in verse 18 this week and talk about having eyes to see and ears to hear. We live in a world that has become and is becoming increasingly materialistic. When I say that, I don't mean just that uh, obsession with goods and, and material possessions, but just in our m- growing inability to see the spiritual fabric of, of everything, and that we are spiritual beings living in a world created by a God who is spirit, and that there is a spiritual nature to truth and morality and life that is beyond sight. We need eyes to see and we need ears to hear the fullness of the truth about everything. We're in Luke chapter 1, we're going to read verses 18 to 25 as we stay in the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Hear then the word of God. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? After the announcement of the birth of his son, John. How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, and he said, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you, and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, and he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision while he was in the temple. And he kept making signs to them, but he remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus... The Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for this Sabbath morn, this Lord's day that we might gather in your presence to lift our hearts in worship. We thank you as we press through this Advent season and we have a chance to be reminded and to remember and to celebrate and to rehearse again in our hearts and our minds the truth of Christmas, the truth of what you have done for us. So even now, Father, as we open your word together, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear the truth in such a way that it is not information passing through our heads, but it is powerful and that it accomplishes all that you design in the transforming of our lives to the image of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. The Old Testament and the New Testament both speak about having eyes to see and ears to hear. And we know from reading there very clearly, it's not talking about our physical eyes. That people who have physical sight and the ability to hear sounds still may be spiritually blind and deaf. That there is that there are things to be perceived, sensed, known, that are beyond our sight and normal hearing. 
There is a spiritual sensitivity to spiritual things that the Bible speaks of from its first pages to the last. In Deuteronomy 29.4, in the first pages of Scripture, it says that to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to understand, that is, eyes to see and ears to hear. To understand spiritual things. Because spiritual things are spiritually discerned and spiritually known in ways that go beyond physically what we can see and test. The ability to perceive the reality of spiritual things and ears that can hear the truth of God's Word and all that God has said. Ezekiel 12.2, it says this, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, a rebellious people, speaking to Israel, who have eyes to see, but see not. Right? They have ears to hear. Their physical hearing is fine, but yet they don't hear. They hear not. Because they are a rebellious house. There is a, a heart rebellion, an internal rebellion, a spiritual rebellion that dulls the spiritual senses and makes it difficult to see and to hear from God the things that He would say to us. Jesus, after he tells many of his parables and, in, and a lot of the things that he says, he's often closed out his, his speaking with, let him who have ears to hear, hear. Right? All the letters that are written to the seven churches in the opening part of Revelation where Jesus and the Spirit are speaking to the church, every one of those letters ends with that call, let him who has ears to hear, to hear from God things Things that are not necessarily coming into your normal senses. Let him who have ears to hear, hear. And it's not just those who don't believe that have difficulty hearing and seeing spiritual things. We can be spiritually dull. We can be insensitive for a lot of different reasons. Things going on in our hearts and in our lives. Where we can be imperceptive, hard of hearing. The story of Zechariah is case in point because Zechariah um, is a believer. He is a true believer in Israel. And yet he still needed help with his unbelief. It was like the guy who responded to Jesus and said, I believe, but help my unbelief. Right? I hear you, but help me to hear more to get it. I, I see it, but help me to, to see it more more in defining my reality so that I, that I live under it and in it. I believe, but help my unbelief. And Zechariah, who is a believer, he's, we're told back in verse 6, as we looked at it last week, you can go back and hear about the announcement to Zechariah, we're told that he was faithful and righteous among God's people. He's walking blamelessly with God, seeking to keep His commandments. And we know from Habakkuk 2.4 that the righteous shall live by faith. That's even in the Old Testament. has always been true in both uh, Testaments. The righteous will live by his faith. And so we know that if Zechariah is a righteous man before God, he is a man of faith. He is a true believer, a true Jew, part of a faithful remnant whose heart belongs to God. We're told he was married to Elizabeth, that they're advanced in years and yet childless. So the angel comes to tell him that God's eternal purposes, 
in bringing a Savior and saving the world, God's eternal purposes have intersected with your pain. And God is doing something. The angel says, the Lord heard you. And Yahweh, the Lord, the covenant God of Israel, your God, Yahweh heard you and He sent me to tell you what He's going to do. He sent me to tell you what you're going to do, what you should do. Right? I want you to name the son that I'm going to give you, John. Right? God spoke to them through the angel. Yahweh tells them not only uh, what He's going to do and what they should do, He says, and I'm going to do so much more, so much more is going on. I'm going to turn the hearts of Israel back to me. John has a huge role to play as the Elijah that is going to come in the spirit and the power of Elijah as a forerunner to the return of God to His temple and His people, the forerunner of Messiah. And so John, this your son, is going to be this man. It's wonderful news. It's amazing news. In fact, at the end of 19, he actually calls it, the very last few words of 19, he says, you know, I was sent to bring you this good news. You know, good news is the word gospel. It's euangelizo. It's that good word. It is, I've come to preach the gospel to you. This is part of that gospel story and message. That John will come as a forerunner of Messiah and Messiah will come. And Messiah will save His people from their sins. It is gospel I've come to preach to you. It's great news. And how does Zechariah respond? Verse 18. How shall I know this? How do I know you're telling me the truth? How can I know it's true? This is, the, this is the question of every skeptic that's ever walked the planet and faced, confronted with God's Word and, and these things that are being said and taught, right? Is that question, how do I know if it's true? In fact, it is a question that you and I both know from time to time invades our own heart. There are times when we too struggle with with doubt. Times we're tempted with that very thought. How do I know it's true? Whatever word it is, you know, in the, in the various things and promises that God has said. How do I know if it's true? God's Word confronts us. God's Word confronts the world. And often the answer that He gets. How do I know? So Zechariah responds to this angel's presence, this one who appeared next to the altar in the temple while he's serving, this spiritual presence, one before whom others have dropped on their knees. And it says that at first he was startled and then he was afraid because he had a sense of the one in whose presence he was standing. So he stands and he responds to this angelic present in the word of God that he brings to him with doubt and skepticism. The angel had promised something amazing. Almost too good to be true. So many of God's words are just like that. Amazing. And almost too good to be true. It comes to him and he is struggling to believe. What you have promised to me seems very unlikely, if not impossible, because I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in her years. 
It's hard to believe this is going to require a miracle. This is going to require something supernatural. Like this is not in the normal course of things. People our age aren't having children. I'm struggling to hear you, but this is exactly what so many struggle with when it comes to Christianity, isn't it? It's that supernatural element, not just a supernatural element, but the idea that the whole religion is a full-blown supernatural religion, right? That what it talks about is something that, that is beyond the natural. It's predicated on the existence of an entire spiritual world where there is a God who is spirit, who has created all things, and an angelic host of spiritual beings that are his mighty servants that serve him in so many ways. It is predicated on human beings having souls and that we're created in his image and that there is something real and true that is beyond. All of our core doctrines require faith in the supernatural, all of them. The, the belief in a creator who from outside has created all things that are, and that he's created souls, and in the idea that there is sin, which is a spiritual thing, that's why the world rejects it, you know, there's no right and wrong in this thing, because it is a, a spiritual and moral brokenness that is beyond our normal experience, the incarnation that we've been reading about in talking about that God became a man to do something about sin, our spiritual and moral brokenness. His sin atoning death. It wasn't just a man dying on a cross, but there was an atonement taking place. And he was dying to pay the penalty of sin and to cover it. The resurrection from the dead, the spiritual reign of Christ that this one who was born king lives as king and reigns as king now. His session at the right hand of the Father ruling and reigning and he will return again. He has a growing kingdom and he is saving souls. How can I know this is true? The question of every skeptic, the question of everyone confronted with the Word of God. How can I know? How can I believe? I have doubts. Zechariah was a believer already. He's even a priest. He knows God's Word. He serves in the temple before God. He's, he's even a priest and he's advanced in years. I mean, he has age and experience as a, as a man of God, walking with God, and yet here he is in the moment with doubts. None of us is immune to doubt. The most genuine believer among us will at moments and at times wrestle with doubts. We sometimes forget or doubt that God is with us or that He hears my prayers, that He's hearing me. How can I be going through this and be crying out the way that I am? And, it, and He... I, is he really hearing me? Is he really with me? Is he really on my side? Is he, is he really out to get me? Is he, I mean, there are a thousand different ways that the temptation to doubt him and his word can creep in. None of us is immune. That doesn't mean it's a good thing. It just means that we're human. And he remembers our frame that we are but dust. And, but it's still, it's not a good thing. And there are consequences, consequences to our doubt. It, it affects our spiritual lives. It does affect us. And the, the effects for 
Zechariah were immediate. In verses 20 to 23, he imposes consequences. Behold, you're going to be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you doubted the word of God to you. It silences you. His doubt made him dumb. He had nothing to say for nine months until he had seen what God said come true. Until he had heard, seen and confirmed God's word, then you'll be allowed to talk again. Then your tongue will be loosed. And you trust in God's word. Our doubt will silence us. It silences you and I when we doubt. What do we have to say to someone? Right? Our confidence, our joy is stolen. Right? We, our spiritual energy can be sapped when we, when we live in this doubt or fear before This one with whom we have to do. Without faith, our spiritual lives are crippled. Without faith, we we do not have eyes to see. And we do not have ears to hear. What the Spirit is saying to the church. What are you saying to us? We become spiritually challenged. It's like gas being siphoned out of the gas tank. Faith. Faith is the source of the spiritual life. 1 John 5, 4, John writes and he says, the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith, our faith is that victory. It is that where our joy comes from, our hope is founded on, our strength is renewed through our faith. We will rise up again on wings like eagles. We believe and we trust His Word that He has not abandoned us, that He is with us, that He is saving us, that He is working in our lives. And through whatever I suffer and whatever we're going through, God is working all things together for the good of those who love Him and serve Him. That faith is that victory that overcomes everything. The great danger would be when our doubt gets the upper hand. Doubt can turn into unbelief. And unbelief is spiritual death. Martin Luther said, God our Father has made all things depend on faith. So that whoever has faith will have everything. And whoever does not have faith will have nothing. The one who has faith has everything. The one who does not will have nothing. Unbelief, he says, will leave us bankrupt. When we doubt, we lose so many of the riches God intends for us. And if our doubt becomes unbelief, we are utterly spiritually bankrupt. Robert Haldane says that faith is the medium through which his righteousness And all the graces and blessings that are ours in Jesus Christ are communicated to our souls. Every, all the riches of Christ that are ours are communicated to our souls through that viaduct, that channel of faith as we trust Him and love Him and are connected to Him like a a branch in a vine so the sap of life flows to us. And faith is that connection. The angel answers Zechariah's doubt by addressing his blindness and his deafness. His seeing and his hearing. Verse 19, he makes that statement that I don't know why I like it so much. It's just one of those bald, frank, strong. The angel answers him and he says, 
I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. I am Gabriel. And Zechariah would recognize that name. I am an angel. I'm one of those mighty ones who does the bidding of God. I'm a spiritual being, prince in a spiritual world. I am Gabriel, Zechariah. Daniel 9, Daniel is praying. He says, I was speaking and I was praying and I was confessing my sin and the sin of my people and presenting my plea before the Lord, my God. Do you ever pray like that? You should. Because there are angelic, almighty, divine answers to these kind of prayers. Daniel is praying like this before the Lord about his holy hill, the the temple and the righteousness in the center of Israel. And he says, while I was speaking in prayer, while I was reaching out to God, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in a vision at the first, came to me in a swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me to understand, speaking with me and saying, this is what Gabriel does. It's the same reason that God sent Gabriel to Zechariah to to make him understand, speaking with me. Oh, Daniel, I have now come out. I've come out where? From the presence of God where I stand to give you insight and understanding to speak the word of God to you to tell you what he's going to do and to tell you what you are to do. I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. Who gets to stand in the presence of God? Holy creatures. Holy Holy, holy is the Lord. And only holy creatures stand in His presence according to His Word. And so angels, this is an unfallen angel. An angel that was created upright and righteous and continues to stand holy in the presence of God. Unmediated. You and I cannot go before God with unmediated. Mediated means without a mediator, without someone to stand in the gap for us. As fallen ones, we need a mediator. There is one God and one mediator between men, women, and God, the man Jesus Christ. Without a mediator, you and I cannot enter in. A new way, a new spiritual way has been made through the veil, through Christ who in his own body bore our sin. It's the only way you and I get there. Here is one. He says, I'm Gabriel. Before the earth was made, I was Gabriel, holy, standing in the presence of God, doing his bidding, and his bidding has been to send me to give his word to his people. I'm part of a spiritual reality. And I have left that holy presence to come talk to you. And what do you give me? (laughs) What do I get? I've left the holy presence. I have rent in some way. I mean, I don't even know how it fully works. Rending time and space, crossing dimensions. You know, I'm not so sure that heaven is way out there past the stars and cosmos. All the sense I get from the scripture is that it somehow overlaps our reality. 
That God is near to every one of us, that in Him we live and move and have our being, that He is presence and the angels are presence. And when our eyes are open, we see the mighty hosts of God and they're not far away, they're here and they're doing His work. In some way, He has crossed over and rent time and space and He has come to stand there. And He says, Zechariah, having eyes you do not see, having ears you are not hearing me. You're not hearing the one who sent me. Who told me to come and tell you these things. You doubt God's word and you doubt his power and you doubt his intent. And that is a mistake. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us, faith is the assurance of things that are hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the conviction, the assurance of things that I cannot see. Faith sees what the physical eyes cannot see and knows it to be true. Knows there is a heaven and a God who sits on His throne, a Creator who has made us in His own image. It sees, it knows, it is a conviction of what we do not see. It knows what we cannot know by any of our regular senses in seeking out. John 3.3, Jesus tells tells us that unless a man, a woman, is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You ever wonder why he says he cannot see? You know, you would expect him to put him there. He cannot enter the kingdom of God or something like that, right? You know, unless a man is born again, unless a woman is born again, she cannot enter in or she can't, you know, something. But he doesn't. He says, unless you're born again, you cannot see it. You can't see it. Why? Because it's a spiritual reality. It is... Spiritual things, we read in 1 Corinthians 2, I think it is, that says that spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And that's why we need eyes that see. Unless a man is born again, unless a woman is born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. And so you won't enter it because you won't know it's there and you won't see the king who reigns there and you won't love him and put your faith in him and trust him and enter into that kingdom because you can't even see it. You're a materialist. And the eyes of faith are open and we see the kingdom of God. It's king. We will not doubt his power. Things like you'll get pregnant. If you had eyes to see the one who just said that, you would not doubt it. He said, let there be light and there was light. He said, let there be You know, heavens and the earth, and there was, and it was, and it was. If you could see, you would not doubt. So Christmas, which we'll get to just in a second, and all the things that we can struggle with about the meanings and the things that we say what Christmas is really about. If we only had eyes to see and ears to hear, our doubt would melt. Because we see these things fulfilled in verse... 20, we're told, behold, you're going to be silent until what? Until these things take place. And then he says, which will be fulfilled in their time. You doubt, but the word is true and infallible. Why? Because God said it. God sent me to tell it to you. It is an infallible word. And it will take place in its due time. And we see that unfold. Elizabeth 
verse 24, it says, after these days, Elizabeth conceived. And in verse 25, when she's trying to explain what's going on, she said, when he looked on me, he, the almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, when he looked on me, the Lord did it. The Lord did what he said that he would do. It is that simple. The Lord did what he said. Eyes to see and ears to hear. If we only had eyes to see, we would not doubt his word. And ears to hear. And a great part of our faith as we come around to seeing spiritual truth, a great part of our faith then backs up to the word of God. There is a word that has been spoken that defines those things that we see. How would we know any of these spiritual things if God had not revealed them in a sense to us? His word comes to us. And we are to take him, great part of faith is to take God at his word and to believe that what he said is true, is true. And to base our lives on it, utterly and completely. To cast ourselves on him in faith and trust and to live our lives in light of what he says is and will be. The first words, you know what the first words recorded in the Bible that the devil spoke are? Did God actually say that you shouldn't eat from the fruit of the tree? Did God actually say? Are you sure? I mean, it's very close. Zechariah's question is pretty close to the devil's. How shall I know it's true? Did God really say this? Because if God said it, there would be little doubt about doing it. I think there is this, he doubts the invaluable truth of God's Word. You know, we are all tempted to do this, as I said. When we are anxious, we are doubting. When we live in fear, we are doubting. When there are so many ways that we struggle to believe the truth of God's word and, and it affects us, it makes us spiritually dull and insensitive in so many ways. And so, a great part of the Christian life is to know His word, to know it. And so to sit under its preaching and to, you know, to be involved where we're studying it, to be reading in our own, to be saturated in God's Word so that we can believe it and we can trust it and we can build our lives on it and we are delivered from our fears and we are delivered from our anxieties. So we walk with Him in the truth of His Word. He said, I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you was sent to speak to you. God has given us his word and has spoken. We, we have a God who speaks. And this is core to understanding and is foundation to everything. God is there and he is not silent. And he has spoken and he continues to speak. And this God who speaks, after, after He speaks, at least we saw it in Jesus' life and ministry, that after He speaks, He says, let him who hear has ears, let him hear what God is saying to His people. Faith, Romans 10, comes from hearing. And hearing through the Word of Christ. Galatians 3.2 said, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or hearing with faith? Hearing with faith. Hebrews 4.2 says the good news came to us just as it did to them, those in the Old Testament. But the message they heard did not benefit them. Why? Why did the word 
go unfulfilled and unbenefited to them. Why? Because they were not united. They being God's word that was spoken to them. The words of God were not united by faith with those who listened. It was not mixed, another translation says, with faith in the coming of it. Faith. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says the opposite. He says, when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of man, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work. You see the difference between the word that was no benefit to them because it was not mixed with faith and the word that is at work within you because you received it not as the word of man, but as it truly is the word of God. And as you receive it by faith, it works wonders in the hearts and lives of his people. Zechariah was looking at the natural difficulty of the whole situation, but he was not lifting his eyes and considering the source. Right? He was not lifting his eyes in faith to the one who is speaking. The message of Christmas comes to us, my friends. The message of Christmas is a word from God. He calls us to to see and to hear and to believe what He is doing at Christmas and what Christmas, of course, is the beginning of everything else where the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's a word from God. It's a word that I can't prove to you. I can't get out a microscope or a, you know, whatever. But the word is this. The word of God is this. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. He lived the life that you and I failed to live. And then he offered his his life as a sacrifice to pay the debt and the penalty of our sin on a cross. He was dead and buried. And having paid the price, he rose again for our life and justification. God invaded the world. God came to save us. He who has eyes to see, let him see. He who has ears, hear. Mix the hearing with faith so that it will work in us who believe. Well, my friends, this Christmas, may we have a fresh opening of our eyes and a fresh opening of our ears so that we would have a fresh and powerful opening of our hearts and our lives to a living Christ who yet lives and reigns over us. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that is living and true. We thank you that you are a God who speaks and you are not silent. And even as you spoke to Zechariah and Elizabeth, and you speak to Joseph and Mary, and you speak that final word in the living Christ. In the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh. Father, may we hear this word, whose name is Jesus. Help us to put our faith in Him and our trust in Him, to love Him and to serve Him, whom you have given to save us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.